Turn with me in your Bibles to the letter to the Hebrews. Scripture reading this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you will find these verses on page 1002. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. This is the very Word of God. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years, Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confession, our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. That is the reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon the preaching of his word here this morning. Father, we come before you humbly asking for your grace, asking that the same Holy Spirit who inspired these words would now be at work among us, applying these words, using these words to renew our minds and transform our lives, that we might be equipped for every good work which you have prepared for us to do. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little word, therefore, at the beginning of verse 7 reminds us that this is the continuation of the argument that the author was making in the previous paragraph. You remember last Sunday in verses 1 through 6, we heard the author's call to consider Jesus, to to set our minds upon Jesus, and and he grounded this exhortation in in the statement that he makes there in verse 6. He says, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, that we might hold fast to our hope, that we might hold fast to our our confidence. The author called upon us to consider Jesus. 
And in the verses before us this morning, he's going to do much the same thing. In fact, verse 6 is almost repeated there in verse 14, just in slightly different words. Look again at what he writes. Verse 14, he says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In both those statements, in verse 6 and then again in verse 14, the author is setting before us the absolute necessity of holding fast to our hope in Christ. He is, he is showing us that it is absolutely essential that we not be moved from our hope. He says we are His house if we hold fast. We are in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And it is because of this truth, this, this absolute necessity of, of perseverance, that we are called to consider Christ, that we are called to exhort one another every day. And so if we're going to hear what the author has to say to us this morning, it is vital that we begin with a proper understanding of what we often refer to as the perseverance of the saints. And so I want us to begin there this morning. Now in our tradition, when we think about the perseverance of the saints, we often focus on what might be called the promise of perseverance. For example, our confession of faith, uh, the Westminster Confession, that is uh, the, the standard exposition of Scripture that we hold to. The Westminster Confession of Faith says that the, uh, the, they whom God has accepted in His beloved, they whom He has effectually called, they whom He has sanctified by His Spirit, they can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Those whom God has called to Himself, those whom He has united to Christ by faith and sanctified by His Spirit, they may at times stumble and fall. In fact, they, they will at times stumble and fall. But they will not totally fall. They will not finally fall. But they will persevere in faith to the end and be finally saved. It is the promise of perseverance. It's, it's why our catechism cite perseverance as, as one of the benefits of our salvation in Christ. And I must tell you this morning that that Doctrine, the, the promise of perseverance, is a glorious biblical truth. Jesus himself taught it when, when he said that he would lose none of those given to him by his Father. None whom the Father had given him, even before the foundations of the world, would be lost. Paul taught it in Romans chapter 8 when he said that all those whom he justifies, he will finally Glorify. It's why he said in Philippians chapter 1 that he was confident that he who began a good work in you will surely bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The, the good work that he has begun, he will not leave unfinished. Our God is a God who completes things. Our God is a God who, who will bring to completion the work of salvation that he has begun. Salvation belongs to the Lord and he never does it halfway. He's a God who saves to the uttermost. He is a God who, who saves 
completely. It's why Peter can say in 1 Peter chapter 1 that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have been born again to an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. And then he adds this, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. It it echoes Jesus' words that that the treasures of heaven cannot be attacked by thief. They cannot be destroyed by, by rust. They are kept in heaven for us. But he doesn't stop there. It's not just the treasure that is kept. We are also kept for the treasure. Because he goes on to say, not only is the inheritance kept in heaven for us, but it is kept for us who by God's power are being kept for it through faith. God, by His power, by the immeasurably great power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, by that power, He keeps us in faith. So that John can say in his first letter, that if they had been of us, they would have continued with us but that they went out from us, it is plain that they were not of us. The promise of perseverance is is taught and assumed throughout the Scriptures. Those whom God saves, He saves completely. Those whom He calls effectually by His Spirit shall not be Lost. None of those given to the Son by the Father shall fall away. The promise of, of perseverance is a glorious truth. But it is also an often misunderstood and misrepresented truth. One of the most common misrepresentations, at least in, in our culture, is the, the familiar phrase, once saved, always saved. I'm sure you've heard it. You you may have even used it at some point. And there is, of course, a sense in which that is true. But as it is commonly understood, the phrase once saved, always saved is contrary to Scripture. Because as it is commonly understood, what does the phrase mean? What do people mean when they say once saved, always saved? Usually, at least in my experience, what people mean is that if you have made a decision for Christ, if you have professed faith in Him, if you have said the sinner's prayer, if you have made a decision to to be His disciple, expressed by signing a card or walking the aisle or or whatever other external means, if, if you have decided to follow Jesus, that you will be saved... On the last day, regardless of what you do the rest of your life. Because once saved, always saved. If you made that decision at some point, if you said that prayer at some point, then you're saved. And you will be saved. Because once saved, always saved. I want you to hear this morning, as a a church and a pastor that fully affirms perseverance of the saints, that's not true. That is not what the Bible teaches. Yes, the the Scriptures teach the promise of perseverance. But, But think about what that word means. Perseverance means perseverance. It does not mean security apart from perseverance. It means that if you are saved, you will persevere. 
It means you will continue moving forward in the footsteps of faith. It means you will not be moved from the the, the hope of the gospel that is yours in Christ. And so therefore, the doctrine of, of perseverance, which is gloriously true, entails not only the promise of perseverance, but also the requirement of perseverance. The doctrine of perseverance teaches us that perseverance is necessary. And again, this is taught everywhere throughout the New Testament. Remember Jesus' parable of the sower. Jesus spoke of of two types of soil that received the gospel with joy and yet ultimately proved unfruitful. And thus Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Paul also assumed the necessity of perseverance in his letter to the Colossians when he wrote, He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. And when he saw the the Galatians uh, 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 being tempted to do just that, being tempted to leave the gospel behind and go in a new direction, what did he ask? He said, he says, was your faith in vain? Was it an empty profession? He doesn't ask if they've lost their salvation. But he says, was the profession that you made, was that a vain profession? Or was it real? Peter, too, assumes the necessity of of perseverance in his second letter when when he speaks about those who made a profession of faith but then enter back into the entanglements of sin and death. And of course, John's statement, and in 1 John, it cuts both ways. If, If going out from us proves that you're not one of us, then clearly remaining with us is necessary to being one of us. It is is necessary to salvation. And so we have to have this straight in our minds. We have to understand that the doctrine of perseverance doesn't just hold out to us the promise of, of final salvation for those who believe at one point, but it holds out to us the promise that those who believe will persevere in their faith because their faith is sustained by the very power of God. And so therefore, those who do not sustain their faith, those who are moved from their hope, there is no promise of salvation to those who who profess belief at a moment, but then do not continue in that faith for a lifetime. And this is exactly the point that the author of Hebrews is driving home in verses 16 through 19. Look again at what he writes. Beginning in verse 16, he says, Who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses, the the, the people of Israel, the, the, the children of Abraham? Remember, they had gone down into Egypt in a time of famine, and by God's good grace, there they had grown into a great people. They had become a, a great nation. These were the children of Abraham to whom the promises had been given. And God remembered them in their anguish when they were enslaved by the pharaohs. 
And he sent Moses to lead them out. He sent Moses to to deliver them from their bondage and to lead them into his promised land, into his foretaste of the kingdom of God on earth. He led them out. These were his covenant people. And yet, what are we told about them? We're told that, that they rebelled, that they provoked the Lord, that they did not believe and thus were disobedient. And because they did not believe, because they were disobedient, because they did not walk in the footsteps of faith, they did not enter into God's salvation. They did not enter into His Sabbath rest. They did not receive an inheritance in the promised land. It's the point that he is driving home. He is reminding us that, that simply being a part of the people who, who, who received some of the initial blessings of, of God's grace, being part of the people who celebrated God's deliverance at first, did not guarantee them a final salvation if they did not persevere in the faith. And it was that moment, that, that, that moment of unbelief that the psalmist is reflecting on in, in, uh, in Psalm 95, the, the, the portion of Scripture that's quoted for us in verses 7 through 11. Look again uh, at that quote from Psalm 95. It says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the original, it it refers to where that rebellion took place, Meribah and and Manasseh. There, the, the, the people of God rebelled against God. Why did they rebel? They rebelled because they had no water. God had led them into the wilderness and they had no water. Now, let's be honest, that's a that's a difficult place to be. That is a a true trial. This is, this is not that the, the water in their house got turned off for a few hours or even a few days. They are in the wilderness, a mass of people without water to drink. It is a, a, a recipe for death. It was a real trial. It was a, a real emergency for, for these people. And so they grumbled and they complained against God. We, we have to admit that, that we, can, we can understand that. We, we can understand why they would complain under such circumstances, but we also must remember that this is the people whom God had just brought out of Egypt. This is the people who had, who had seen the plagues. They had seen their God defeat Pharaoh and, and his gods mightily. They had, they had seen the Passover when the angel of death came through the land and they were spared Because they trusted in God's word and put the blood of a lamb upon their doorposts. This is a people who had been brought out, plundering the Egyptians as they go. This is the people who had been led across the Red Sea on dry ground because their God parted the way. And this is the people who already in the wilderness had been fed bread from heaven because they were hungry. 
God had proven himself faithful again and again. He had proven himself powerful beyond reasonable doubt. And yet the people would not trust him. When they found themselves without water, they did not cry out to him to do again what he had done for them. But they cried out against him, accusing him of faithlessness. And this was not a one-time failure, but the beginning of a pattern. A a pattern of of hard-hearted refusal to entrust themselves to God. A a hard-hearted refusal that ultimately culminated in in their refusal to enter the promised land. I'm, I'm sure you remember the story when God finally brings them to the border of the promised land and they send in the spies to, to, to see out the land and to see what kind of land God has, has brought them to. And they come back with the report that, yes, it is a good land. Just as God had said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a, it is a God of incredible produce and, and great provision. But it is a land filled with mighty people. Giants with walled cities. There is no way we can take this land. We were like grasshoppers in their sight. So again, they refuse to entrust themselves to God. And it is at that moment of rebellion that God says to them, you will not enter my rest. But for 40 years... That generation wandered into the wilderness until all of that generation had died, all except for two, Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who pleaded with the people to walk in the footsteps of faith. The two who pleaded with the people to entrust themselves to the God who had proven himself faithful again and again and again. That's the history of Israel. That's the the history that the psalmist is reflecting on. That's the history that the author of Hebrews is reflecting on as as he pleads with the Hebrews themselves who are now facing that same temptation. They're not in the wilderness without water, but they are in the midst of trial. They are experiencing hardship. And they are wondering if they can entrust themselves to the Father. They are wondering if they can trust the Son whom the Father sent to be their Savior. He's pleading with them to walk in the footsteps of faith, to persevere, to stand firm, to hold fast to the confidence that was once theirs in Christ. Think about what that means for us if it was essential for the Hebrews to hold fast to their hope, if it was essential for the Israelites to to walk in the footsteps of of faith, if they were to enter the the promised land, what does that mean for us today as the people of God? I think it's important for us to hear this, especially in our our context, when, when most of us have some roots in the church. Most of us grew up in in a context where where we had some association with the church. Most of us made some sort of profession at at some point early in our lives. And what we need to hear in this passage, what we need to hear the author saying to us this morning, is that your future hope of salvation does not rest in some past 
decision or profession or decision or prayer. It is not what you did at some point in the past that guarantees your future, but rather your assurance of salvation, your hope of glory is to be found in this. Am I trusting Him? The only Savior of God's elect. Am I trusting Him even now, today, at this moment? In some sense, it doesn't matter if you were a Christian yesterday. It doesn't matter if you were a, a believer when you first made that profession of faith at 12 or, or 6 or, or 8 or whatever the age was. People come to me often wrestling with that question. I just don't know if my profession of faith when I was 12 was, was sincere. I don't, I don't know if I was really saved then. And without exception, I say to them, why does it matter? Do you believe him today? Are you trusting him now? Because if you are trusting him now, then that is your assurance. Not what you did in the past, but your trust in him now. Are you resting in him now? Because no profession of faith in the past is of any value if it does not produce perseverance to the end. Are you trusting Him to the end? Are you walking in the footsteps of, of faith? Are you trusting Him today? That's the question. And the author of Hebrews is, is pleading with the Hebrews to renew their faith in Him today. And to renew his faith in him every day, as long as it is called today. That's what the, the exhortation here is. He's, he's asking them to, to take care. Notice what he says. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you any evil and unbelieving heart. Do not have a heart that... that that will not entrust itself to God. Do, do not have a heart that will not rest in His promises. Do, do not have a heart that will not take Him as a word. Do not have a heart that will not move forward walking in the footsteps of faith. But rather receive and rest upon Him today again and every day as long as it is called today. Francis Schaeffer had something like this in mind when he said that the, the Christian life form, the, the Christian lifestyle, the, the Christian life to which we have called is, is simply living each day like we actually believe what we profess to believe on Sunday morning. Do you walk in the footsteps of faith? Do you live throughout the week like you actually believe what you profess to believe on, on Sunday morning? That is the Christian life. Live like God is God. Live like Jesus is the Savior of, of God's people. Live like the Holy Spirit now indwells you, empowering you to, to do what He has called you to do. Live like you believe what you profess to believe. That's, that's the Christian life. It's that simple. But of course it's not easy. And we know it's not easy. We know it's, it's not easy to walk in faith when life is hard. We know it's not easy to, to walk in, in faith when, when nothing is going according to plan. 
When everything is breaking, when things are are falling apart, when it just plain hurts. It's not easy. And of course, it's not just the trials that can distract us. It's not just the, the trials that can threaten our faith. It's the ease as well. Remember, there were two soils. There were two soils that proved unfruitful after receiving the gospel with joy. One was scorched by trials, but the other was simply choked out by abundance. And so whether we are in a time of ease or whether we are in a time of of struggle, whether we are enjoying plenty or whether we are enjoying want, we must hold fast to our faith. We must continue to walk in the footsteps of faith day after day after day. But how? How do we do this? How do we guard against developing an evil and unbelieving heart? This is the very question the author is answering in verse 13. Notice what he says. He says, we must exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Two things I want you to notice in that. First, we must exhort one another. An exhortation is a, is a strong word, a, a strong encouragement. It's, it, it can come in many forms. It can, it can be teaching. It can be simply uh, teaching someone what they don't know, the, teaching them the truth that they might walk in it. It might be correcting them if, if they're actually walking in some falsehood. It might be rebuking them if they're not actually walking in what they know they believe. It can simply be encouraging them to, to remember what they already know. And it pertains both to faith and practice, both to belief and behavior. It can be an encouragement to to believe what we are forgetting. It can be an encouragement to, to practice what we are leaving undone. But we are to be exhorting one another Regarding our our faith and our practice, regarding our belief and our behavior, we are to be pointing people to Christ. Remember, this this comes in the context of, of the author calling us to consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Ultimately, that is what we are called to, to, to point people back to Christ, to remind people who he is and how we ought to live in the light of his revelation. That's what he's calling us to, exhort one another, to consider Jesus. And of course, he says, do this every day, as long as it is called today. Because the Christian life is is a daily exercise. Jesus said, if you would be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. He said that you must seek first the kingdom daily, today, because tomorrow is going to have enough trouble of its own. Worry about today. Today, seek first my kingdom. Today, seek first my righteousness. To to follow Christ is a a series of days. It is is a daily exercise. And therefore, we must encourage and strengthen one another daily that we might continue moving forward in the footsteps of of faith. We must preach the gospel to ourselves every day, but we also must preach the gospel to one another every day. We must preach it to our, our children. We must preach it to our friends. We must preach it to our, our neighbors. 
We must be speaking the truth with love into one another's lives daily that we might hold fast to our confidence to the end. So let me ask you simply, are you, are you receiving this type of exhortation? Do you have people around you who, who speak the truth with love into your life? People who exhort you to, to stand firm? If not, that may be your fault, it may be their fault, it doesn't really matter. Whoever's fault it is, you need to seek out the friends. You need to seek out the, the brothers and sisters in Christ who can speak into your life encouragement. To isolate yourself is to harm yourself. You are not strong enough to stand alone. You must stand with your brothers and sisters. You must stand in community. You need to be surrounded by people who can exhort you daily. Seek it out. We offer some programs to that end here at the church, but if those programs don't fit your schedule, then you better be seeking it out by other means. You need those who are speaking into your life, but here's the other side of the coin. You need to be speaking into your brothers' and your sisters' lives. It's not only a question of are you receiving this exhortation, are you giving this exhortation? Are you pointing people to Christ? Are you reminding them of the gospel? Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that the church grows as every member does its part. Are you doing your part? Are you exhorting your brothers every day as long as it is called today? Are you pointing them to Christ? I'm not asking you if you're Oprah and you've got some great advice to, to give people their best life now. That, that's not what I'm asking. You may have no wisdom in yourself, but if you know Christ, you know the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. If you know Christ, you have something better to say than any of the talking heads. And therefore, my exhortation to you is to be an exhorter. Seek out the exhortation of others, but be willing to give it also that we might become a community held together by daily exhortation. Because it is as, as we daily preach the gospel to one another that we will be on guard against the cancer of unbelief. It is as we speak the truth to one another daily that we will be able to hold firm to our confidence to the end. And it is as we call on one another daily to consider Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the apostle and high priest of our confession. It is as we daily point one another to Christ that we will be Guarded that we will be kept by God's power in faith to the end until that day when we receive the inheritance that is kept for us in heaven, that imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it is because God has placed us in a community where we can exhort one another, where we can hold one another, and where he has promised to hold us through the exhortations of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is because he is such a God 
that we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we rejoice in your goodness to us. We thank you for for placing us in community. Father, give us the humility to depend upon that community. And give us the humility to, to play our part in that community. Father, may we be a people marked by daily exhortation. May we be a people who are exhorted and who exhort others to consider Jesus and to stand firm in our faith in Him. To to rest upon His finished work even as we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. Father, may this gospel dwell richly in all of us together that we might be a people where Your peace reigns and where we stand firm to the end until that day when we receive in full the inheritance that You have prepared for us. Father, this we pray boldly in Jesus' name and for His name's sake. Amen.